Welcome everyone to the Dragonfly Dojo. And uh, tonight's talk is called, What is the Gospel of the Buddha? So some of you may be surprised to see the word gospel used alongside the word Buddha, but gospel itself is an old English expression. And it comes from uh, two words, God and spell. And so I think there was a, uh, like a musical called Godspell, which was really just literally the old English. But God means good, and spell in that sense meant news. So it means good news. And that's all it means. And so the question is, what is the good news of the Buddha? Another way to talk about this um, is what is, what, is the, what is the good news of the Dharma? So this message that we, we share with all beings is so important because this message is at the core of what life is about, seems to be about. What our life seems to be about is that we are born into this world and as we grow, we experience first a deep sense of connection and that deep sense of connection is unconscious and it comes from the relationship we have while in utero, in our mother's womb. That symbiotic relationship, that sense of unconscious oneness, um, we enter into the world in that womb, in that experience. But then, uh, about nine months later, we come out. And we come out into this world. And uh, we don't really come out screaming necessarily, but we're usually struck as we leave the womb. And then we cry. And of course, the doctor or whoever's delivering us does this because they want to make sure that we're okay, that we're breathing. But I always thought it was kind of interesting that the first experience we have of leaving this unconscious oneness is to be struck emitting a cry from us. And I think sometimes as we go through different struggles in life, it's just like that. It's like being struck and we cry out. The painful situations in our life. And then we go through a level of dependence where we're totally dependent on others for everything for our mother, for milk, for our family and the environment that we're in that's safe. And then eventually, if we get old enough, we start to get to a place where we begin to realize that it's not one anymore. We start to realize more and more that there's an other, it seems to be an other. 
seems to be an out there and an in here, but it's still not conscious. It's still not conscious. And then we go through a stage where we begin to experience that other as a deep form of separation. And it's this sense of separation, even at that unconscious, basically instinctive infantile state, that the beginnings of the way we react to the world with anxiety are caused. And if you think about it, what's the most painful thing? The most painful thing is to be separated from the things we love, from the things we desire, from the things that we want. I know for me, the most painful experience that I could imagine would be being separate from my loved ones. So this sense of separation is deep in us, very deep. And then we go through that, you know, conscious stage, we start to form memories. We're probably around three or four. We start naming everything. You know, we're really, we really know the name of everything, we give names to everything because giving names to things gives us a sense of connection to it. So in some ways, you could say that that language and the desire to know and name things you know, what is that? What is this? What is that? That's what little kids ask all the time. And they want to name things because it gives them some sense of control over the relationship. If I don't know what that is, that can cause fear in me or maybe just curiosity. But by knowing what it is or being told what it is, because let's face it, our experience is largely shaped by what we're told it is. That becomes our reality. And then we get older and older and we go through the other various stages of existence. But I think that deep down, we never quite fully leave that experience, that sense of estrangement. And I think no matter how we might be oriented in terms of our personality, whether we're introverted or we're extroverted, I think deep down, deep down sometimes we just don't feel like we belong. And even when we get older and maybe we've had lots of accomplishments, there's still a part of us that's always thinking, I don't belong. I don't fit. Or we're constantly struggling to fit. Fit the expectations and the requirements of our culture, of our friends. So this is, this is big. This sense of existential anxiety that we have, it's huge. And it colors everything. And you might say in some ways, you know, using that old word sin, 
it's like this deep sense that we're missing it. This deep sense that somehow we're just not right. And we seem to have evolved with this tendency to have this voice that's always willing to show up at the most inopportune times and tell us that we're no good. Or remind us of our mistakes. Or call us a fraud. So, you know, we all have this. And I think that sense of separation, that sense of alienation, that sense of estrangement, I think that's what causes folks to suffer. And so what is the good news? That's the bad news, you might say, right? Or you, we don't have to call it bad news. You don't have to label it. Just say that's the way it is. You know, and I think that's one of the things that a lot of people find very refreshing about the Buddhist teachings is that they're very realistic. They're sobering. But there is good news. And the good news of the Buddha is that the idea that we're separate, this whole edifice that's created as we grow and are conditioned, that the whole thing is a delusion. A delusion. It doesn't really exist. It's something that has been formed over the time and development that I just talked about. And it colors the way we see everything, creating a sort of a veil over everything. But the Buddha's message to us is that this sense of separation or alienation or estrangement we have, it's not real. We've never been separate. We've always belonged. And there's nothing we have to do to make it so. In one way or another, most religions talk about this sense of alienation and estrangement. They might have their own terminology for it. They might have their own mythic stories to tell about how it happened. But in the end, it's the same story, really, the human story. And then there's all kinds of things you have to do to overcome that alienation. For some people, for some approaches, it, it means that if you follow a certain code or you follow a certain legal prescription, that will overcome that sense of alienation and estrangement. For others, it requires uh, a blood sacrifice. It requires some type of atonement in order for that oneness to be experienced again. And I'm not criticizing those approaches or knocking them. I'm just saying this is not the Buddhist way. Buddhist way is that there is no need for you to atone. 
There's no need for you even to be forgiven. The Buddha's message of good news is that there's no laws to follow or break that can separate. And it's a radical message. It's a radical message of acceptance where you are accepted just as you are without one plea. So let that sink in for a moment. When you really begin to understand it, or at least have a conception of it, it changes everything. When you realize that this idea that you're separate and you're alien and you, you're estranged from everything, that all of that's a delusion. It's, it's smoke and mirrors. It doesn't really exist anywhere except in your mind. And that in some ways, it was just the natural process of things. You know, it seems to be the natural process of things. If we look around and, and we yield lessons from the universe, if we just study and observe the universe, we find that it's how it works. And so this movement from an unconscious sense of oneness to a self-conscious sense of separation, it's a necessary step. It's a necessary part, apparently, of our life as sentient beings. The sentiency, like other laws in the universe, like the laws of thermodynamics, the law of creativity, where we are the universe. And that's the thing too, is that when we overcome the sense of separation, we no longer believe that we're something else. Like we're somehow these strange, lonely skin bags floating in a harsh and unfriendly universe separate and that the ego self identity is the whole story man that's it you know no matter how long or short that story might be some of us have really long stories right my great grandmother lived to be on 99 she had a long story lots of people have very short stories that's it Really? So the good news of the Buddha also says to us that you're more than just this fragile ego. You're more than just this skin bag. And that that's a delusion too. That you down to the very core of your being are the universe. You're the universe waking up to a universal consciousness, waking up to a reality that is transcendent and boundless. And as we wake up to that transcendent reality, that boundlessness, we realize that we are the incarnation of it. 
So whatever name we give to it, we call it Buddha or Buddha nature, or we might give it an even more descriptive archetypical name representing the qualities of our true self, our true nature. But ultimately, we are the manifestation of that. And that it could be any other way, apparently. Just like we have to go through this necessary and painful process to become self-conscious. It's just as necessary that we move through these stages and that this wondrous oneness that we we talk about and all the ancient masters talk about it couldn't be experienced if it wasn't for you if it wasn't for me it couldn't be known so that's what I think is the most powerful and simple message of the good news of the Buddha. That you are one. And you move from an unconscious oneness to a conscious sense of separation to a conscious sense of oneness once again. It's different from the unconscious. Now you're awake. Now you direct it. Now you help manifest it. Another way of talking about this is the word nirvana. So that when we realize and even just consider that the sense of separation is a delusion. And the great thing today is, is that we can, we can push that and study that and realize that with the best sources of knowledge that we have. We can know now from our DNA to the very elements in our body, we are interconnected. We are interlinked, interpenetrating. And this experience of this, when we're no longer identifying with just the transitory contingent aspect of who we are, but we start to identify more and more with this boundless sense of oneness, then we experience something that's timeless. And when you talk about the timeless, whether it was is in spirituality or it's in science, the word eternal is used. And so what? we experience when we shift our consciousness away from this limited sense of being to the very ground of our being that we take refuge in, we begin to experience nirvana. And nirvana is a word to describe something that ultimately is beyond description. But it has a certain flavor, a certain taste Number one, it tastes like freedom. You feel free. You feel connected. You feel creative. Compassionate. 
And all these things flow. And that's when you know that you're experiencing Nirvana. Another way that we can experience Nirvana or benefit from the good news of the Buddha is the practice of the way of mindful living. So the Buddha realized that this message of oneness, it's a beautiful thing. And when you start to connect with it, and you start to try it out, even experiment with it a little bit, it starts to change everything. Because it's really hard. It's really hard to harm something that is you. It's really hard to do that. We usually have to give people labels and names in order to do that. But when you start to see that that's not the reality, then you naturally are more compassionate. No one has to cajole you into doing it. No one has to make you fearful that if you don't do it, you'll be punished. No, you're, you're good for goodness sake. But this way of mindful living, because the Buddha knew that just having that experience, like he did under the Bodhi tree, or someone who reads about it, or someone that hears this message tonight and says, Oh, I'm going to check out this oneness thing. I'm going to see what this is all about. And starts to really dig it. And starts to really see that it has, you know, a nice, fresher way of seeing the reality of the world. You know, even if they do all that, they're still going to have stuff that comes up in their daily life. They're still going to have stuff that's constantly from that old conditioning, trying to persuade them, no, no, that's not the way it really is. And so that's where the practices of meditation and mindfulness come. Daily practices that allow us to reorient ourselves. Daily practices to remind us of what is true that we've tested and experienced in our own lives. Daily practices that help us to realize that the way we think causes everything else. And that we have this miraculous ability to not only bear witness to that, but we have the ability to change one thought for another. third thing that I think has to be said is that this way is not something that Shakyamuni Buddha discovered. He rediscovered it for himself and then spent his life and devotion to sharing it, which is why we're doing it tonight, nearly 3,000 years later. But he would say often that this is the way that this way isn't limited to any particular group, tribe, or religious definition. This is a universal reality. A universal reality is true for sentient beings on this planet, 
and it's true for sentient beings that might live in a star system far, far away, or might live in an alternate universe. That it's the same for all of us. And lastly, I think the good news of the Buddha is that this refuge is not just in our true nature. It's not just in the Dharma or the teachings of liberation. That we also take refuge in each other. And that's what Sangha means in Sanskrit. I take refuge in the Buddha in you. You take refuge in the Buddha in me. And you realize that you're no longer alone. That no matter what's going on in your life, the joys and the, the sorrows, you're not alone. You never stand alone. You have all the countless beings that have gone before you and you have all the countless beings that will come after you. And they are all one. And they are all with you. And so you never really feel alone anymore. I have to say that's one of the most significant things for me in my own practice out of this experience. I never feel alone. In the sense of being lonely. Because I, I know that there's no truth to it. I mean, the simplest thing for me to do is just to stand outside for a little bit. Look at the sky. Feel the rain. And I know that it's all part of me. And that when I wish to experience joy, I do it by sharing myself with others. Joy and the joy of others. And sometimes I don't feel like doing that, right? And so I don't trust my feelings to guide me anymore. I trust the wisdom. Wisdom is what guides me. So that's the good news of the Buddha. And sometimes I think the good news of the Buddha is not a shout. You know, sometimes when people have good news, they shout it from the rooftops. They blow big horns. But I don't think of the Buddha's good news like that. For me, the Buddha's good news is like that still small voice that whispers softly to you. You are one. You always have been. You always will.